So we're going to continue looking at the value of what it means to live a Jesus-focused life. And today I want to talk about the way of vision. We talk a little bit about vision, Jesus' vision in particular. And so when we talk about living a Jesus-focused life, so we're all on the same page, this is what we mean. That Jesus is our focus. He is our constant compass. That we are always changing in one way, form, or another. Even the most stubborn person in here who says, like, I never change. No, you do change. All of us change. We are always changing, but Jesus is perfect. He alone remains unchanged. The scripture says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And why that is beautiful is because you cannot improve upon perfection, and he doesn't need to change like we need to change. And so there's an anchoring, there's a solidification, there is who he is that is totally different. And so in 2020, there's something powerful that I want us to focus on, even on this snowy Sunday morning. And it is this, his vision remains a powerful picture of the future that produces passion in people. It still does, that vision remains this powerful picture of the future that when it's cast in a compelling way, it produces passion and movement in everyone's heart and life who hears it. And Proverbs 29 verse 18 talks about vision, but it doesn't just talk about any old vision. It talks about a very specific vision for our hearts and lives. And it says this, when people do not accept divine guidance, okay, when they do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. So when they don't, so guidance comes oftentimes in the forms of constraints, in the forms sometimes of disciplines, which are doing what we don't want to do in order to get to where we want to get. Right, So discipline and these guidelines come to our hearts and lives. And so when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law, whoever obeys these constraints and these guidelines is joyful. That's Proverbs 29, verse 18. But many of you have heard not, not read that version of it, but you've heard this vision out. Of it. Without vision, people perish. So without a vision, the people perish. But I like the version that we just read because it says not just without any old vision, but without divine guidance. And I think that's absolutely critical. Because Jesus often spoke and told stories and used his life as an example, always casting vision. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like for the kingdom of God to be on earth. This is what it looks like to treat someone who's caught in sin. This is what it looks like to confront things of people who think they have it right, but they actually have it wrong. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks. he was constantly in his life casting this compelling vision about what it looks like to engage with humanity. And one day he told a parable, and it's the shortest parable I think he told it's literally one sentence and he said this he told them a parable and he said this can a blind man lead a blind man or will they both not fall into a pit or into a ditch or into despair and so the subtext is not very hard to figure out Jesus was essentially saying to the crowd listening that day and he says to us today don't follow someone who doesn't know where they're going don't follow someone whose identity isn't rooted in something that is deeper than power, money, or sex. Don't follow people who are just successful but yet still don't know where they're going because if you do, you're going to find yourself at some point in a ditch. Follow someone who knows the beginning from the end, who sees further than what they see in a moment. 
Jesus says, because without divine guidance, without this vision that, that we perish and that we all have the propensity to both lead and follow, that every single one of us are not islands unto ourselves. We are influenced by people. We are influenced by the culture in which we live. And that doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a human one. And so Jesus is constantly asking us to take inventory of for you and for me, who are you following? And if you're following that person, do they know where they're going? Anybody who asks me to mentor them, and I've had a few people, and I'm walking with a few people currently, one of the fundamental questions I ask them, and I say to them over and over and over and over again, is essentially what Jesus just said. Don't follow someone who doesn't know who they are or where they're going. How do you figure those things out? They're actually not hard to figure out. That's a conversation for a different day. One of, the, one of the pastors that we've helped, helped uh, his work has helped us shape this entire series, his name is John Tyson. He is uh, from Church of the City in New York, and he's written two books, very short, for his church. And we as a teaching team read them as we put this together. And here's what he says. That Jesus' vision has three, everybody say three. Three clear, that's not everybody, by the way, but okay, I'll let you one off the hook. Jesus' vision has three clear, distinct elements. That when Jesus casts vision, there's three things that he does. First and foremost, he gives a detailed picture of who God is. The second thing he does is he gives an announcement that the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom showed up because the king showed up. So the kingdom of God has arrived. And the third thing he does is he gives an invitation. Everybody say an invitation. An invitation to follow Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus. In contrast to a disciple of culture, in contrast to a disciple of X, Y, or Z, and whatever you want to fill those blanks in. But the very first thing that Jesus is constantly doing when he's walking around, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, any one of them, or all of them, one of the things that you'll see he is constantly correcting are incorrect perceptions around who God is. When I am sharing my faith, when I'm telling people about Jesus who don't yet know Jesus, oftentimes, like you, I run into people who say to me these words, well, I don't believe in God. And my follow-up question is always this, tell me about the God that you don't believe in then. And when they do, do you know what? Eight times out of ten, I'm also able to say, yeah, I don't believe, that. I don't believe in that God either. Because they'll say, well, I, I don't believe in a God that hates people. And I'll say, neither do I. Well, I don't, I don't believe in a God who just like at his whim does whatever he wants without any purpose whatsoever. I, I don't believe in a God who just creates suffering for no reason. Yet neither do I because when I look at the cross, I, I, I don't see that God either. I don't, I don't believe in that God either. And then all of a sudden the ground that felt so solid all of a sudden becomes very, very like, okay, let's talk. And sometimes it doesn't go the way you want it to go. And other times they'll say, well, I don't believe in this God. And I'll go like, I don't believe in a God who is singular, that nobody comes to him except through Jesus. And I'm like, oh, problem. I believe in that God. And that's great conversation, too. That's a little evangelism tip for you there. Just put that in your pocket and have it ways you go. Okay. So one of the things, though, is this distorted view about who God is. Because here's what I promise you. I promise you. And some of you just experienced as we sang a new song called This Is A Move. But I promise you, not because I'm prophetic and not because I know all things. My gosh, I don't know many things, but this I know. That what you read in Scripture and what you see, see Jesus do with absolute clarity 
is spectacular and it's glorious and it's beautiful. But I promise you this, there will be a season, there will be an experience, there will be something in your life that happens that seemingly contradicts who God is and how God is moving in your life. Or simultaneously, how it feels like he isn't moving. You are going to experience a wrestle moment. And in that moment, you are going to be tempted to do what everybody has done throughout all of history. To create a God that you can control and define. That's the temptation of my life. It's the temptation of your life. I want you to think for a moment about a faithful witness. I want you to think about a grandmother. Perhaps a great-grandmother if we go back in history. Who remembered what it is to be under someone by the name of Joseph and treated well. And God was a deliverer, and she had firsthand experience that God was deliverer. Or, or I could take you to a grandmother, perhaps, who crossed on the Red Sea, as we read about in Scripture. But then I want to fast forward to another generation who didn't experience God in the same way. And maybe if you think about the story of Joseph, where a great-grandmother knew God as deliverer. Now I want you to think about a grandson or a granddaughter or even a great-granddaughter who, again, maybe they are now not under the, the rule of someone named Joseph, but they're under a pharaoh who does not know God, and yet they have a great-great-grandmother in the family who keeps talking about a God who delivers, a God who delivers, a God who delivers, and all they see in their life is oppression. In that moment, you need a faithful witness to remind us who God has forever established himself to be. Because the, t the tendency for my life and for your life is, if I can't see it, it's not true. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you got to see beyond. you got to have a Jesus-sized vision, not a you-sized vision. And when God doesn't heal somebody, when God doesn't provide in the way that you think he should provide, he is healer, he is provider, he is deliverer. But when he doesn't, and there are many of you who sometimes battle addiction and say, God, why don't you just, why don't you just take it out instantly? And there are moments where we just don't know that there are these mysteries that belong to God, but here's the challenge when you and I experiences those rubs in life it is to anchor our hearts in God is who he said he is in spite of what I see don't pull a God to your own understanding because then all we do is we create a guide that is blind you with me sort of okay A.W. Tozer says this what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important is the most important thing about us. And we tend by this secret law of the soul. So you all have one. We all have one in our hearts. But we tend to move towards our own mental image of who God is. And so one of the challenges is for all of us is to allow God's word and the way of Jesus to inform how we see God. And it's absolutely vital. When reading through the Gospels, it is impossible to miss how often Jesus casts this compelling vision of who God is. The goal with the vision of God, again, listen, the goal with having a vision of God, okay, so oftentimes there are some who can see God as a judge. 
You know, you can see him as a judge. And for you, it's, you tend to fall towards like, I'm not going to fall off the stage, don't worry. You tend, to, you, you tend to think about, I can feel it under my feet. You tend to think about, you know, righteousness and legalism and rules and you feel really secure. So you tend to, to, to list or kind of tip to that side and you hold to that side. There's nothing wrong with that. It makes some of you more comfortable. But there's others of you who, who see God as a father. You know, Jesus says that he actually told us to, you know, call, to call God the Father Abba, which translates into a really awkward word for me to say, Daddy. I, can remember the, I remember the very first time that I was in a prayer circle, had my eyes closed because I'm a good Christian. And it makes prayer more powerful. It doesn't, but okay. I remember, you know, and, and this was a prayer circle. So we said, what do you do with your hands? Well, it was a Christian prayer circle. So they said, let's everybody join hands. And I thought, let's not. But they didn't ask my opinion, so I did. I was fearful that it would turn into a really Christian prayer circle, which then turns into not holding hands, but like everyone has their arms like this. And then I'm like, okay, then I'm out. God's called me to intercession over here. I'm good. So obviously I've got intimacy issues. I know that 100%, okay? So anyways... We were sitting there in this prayer circle, and a man, like I would say, like I would start a prayer this way, Heavenly Father, and I'm super comfortable. And this guy, this guy, got my eyes closed. I'm a good Christian. This guy goes, Daddy? And I was like, oh. Daddy, I just love you, and I want to be in your arms. And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> the issue wasn't his, clearly. And so for you, 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 you may be listening to me right now and going like, what is wrong with you? Many things. I think this is feeding back a little bit, but many things are, are, are wrong. But I struggle with that language. I don't struggle with, like, Heavenly Father. I struggle over here. So, so you say, well, okay, well, what's, what's the solution? What are you going to preach? Be balanced? Absolutely not. No, the goal of Scripture is, to, is not to be balanced. It's to embrace that both are God. It's not to be balanced like I can swing over here. Sometimes God plants me in this language of intimacy and like everything in me is like, oh, but my soul needs it. And there are other times that God loves me so much that he says no. And he brings a constraint and he convicts and he judges something in my life as broken or sinful and says it needs to go. And in that moment, I can't run back over here and be like, but daddy, it's okay. No, he's bringing judgment to my heart. Well, balance those things. No, let him be both equally. Now are you with me a little bit? Okay. You see, Jesus was constantly saying through words and through his life, this is who you think God is, but I'm telling you, that's not who he is. This is who he is. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen Abba. You've seen Ooh. 
So how do we know when sometimes we're having a different view of God? Well, one more slide, one more side note, and then we're going to dive right back in and finish. How do you know? Well, here's one of the things that's popular in our culture today. It is to pit God against God. And we don't do it like, I'm going to pit God against God today. We just say things like, well, I like Jesus and the Old Testament. I just don't like the Old Testament God. Like, I don't like this, like, judgy guy over here. I like the Jesus part and the new one. But here's the thing. He's still God. Same guy. In the same hour, Jesus said, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. So everyone say Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you're new to church, God is one in three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? So here we have the first, Holy Spirit. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Everyone say, Father. Okay, so now we got God the Holy Spirit and God the Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, was, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me. This is now the Son talking, Jesus, by my Father, and no one knows the Son. Everyone say, Son. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Some of you are saying, could you read that again? Not a chance. All you can see is fully present, whether it's in Genesis, whether it's at Jesus' baptism, whether it is in here, you see this one God in three persons that they work interdependent upon one another, not in competition one another, and not pitting them one against the other. So when we describe God again, do we pit God against God? I, I like this Jesus, but not the God of the Old Testament. Or some in the church, it's like, I don't mind the Father, and I certainly don't mind the Son, but don't bring the Holy Spirit in, because if you bring the Holy Spirit in, things just get weird. And I don't like weird. I like control. Well, you can have a move of the Spirit, or you can have control. You can't often have both. And that doesn't mean we give a license for everything that's weird to happen, because things are done in decency and in order. But what it does mean that there are moments where the Holy Spirit, we actually surrender to what he wants to do in our hearts and lives, not necessarily what we want to do in our hearts and lives. And so tomorrow, he may put on your heart, I want you to go speak to that coworker. And you're like, well, I'd speak to that coworker, but not that coworker. And he says, that coworker. And you go, get behind me, Satan. You have not the things of the kingdom of God in mind, but it's not Satan talking to you, it's the Holy Spirit. Or when you leave here today, the, the Holy Spirit may put on your heart, I want you to chip the ice off of that car. You know, like, now I know for sure it's the devil. I already did it once today, and I'm not doing it again. So again, we can have control, my day, my time, and all of those things, or we can surrender a little bit and say, Holy Spirit, would you move? If we want to move of God in our individual lives, in our family, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our church, in our campuses, then we have to allow the Holy Spirit to move. Did you hear the little bing there? I heard it. <laughs> All right. Why does this matter? Well, in Luke chapter 15, here's what it says of all of us. Luke chapter 15 tells a story. Jesus tells a story about a father with two sons, and both of them become prodigals, one by running away and being rebellious, and the other 
by staying home and they think that they've obeyed all the rules, therefore they're good. But both sons, here's what they want. Listen, listen, listen. They want the stuff the father has, but they don't want the father. And in 2020, could it be that there are many who want the benefits of the kingdom, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. We want the benefits of the kingdom, but we don't want the king. And it's because oftentimes we have this incorrect view of the father. Matthew chapter 4, just if I haven't hammered it home enough, let me do this. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Turn the person beside you and say, that sounds like a good trip. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, we're only doing 21 days of fasting. And can I let you know that I'm eating primarily fruits and vegetables. And this week, my stomach made the most ungodly noises. In, I was sitting in meetings and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, I, I, I promise you, I'm not just trying to be a Canadian here. I literally don't have to go to the washroom. I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. I know what this is. This is kale. That's what this is. It's kale, it's celery, it's carrots, and it's talking loud. My Lord, have mercy. So if, you're, if you are in that boat, I'm in that boat with you. You know, our, our children are on the fast with us, and my Lord, they're being set free. <laughs> Every day they get on this stupid fast. I'm starving! Yes, but you're hungry for the things of God. No, I'm not. I'm starving. You're like, okay, that's great. That's my house. So it's, it's, a, good, it's a good time for us. It's a good time. It's a, it's a good time. We're having a good time. God's moving in beautiful ways. It's a good time. It really is a good time. So Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? As you would be. He was hungry. Again, he took, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And then you see as the devil begins to tempt him, tempt him, tempt him, tempt him. And one of the things he tempts him with is he took him to a high, very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms. Everyone say kingdoms. Okay, showed him all the kingdoms, all the stuff, all the power, all the money, all the sex, all the da-da-da-da-da. Kingdoms, kingdom, kingdom. Shows him all the stuff. And Jesus essentially says, um, the, the devil says to him, I'll give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and you will serve him only. Say, why are you reading that? Because here's essentially what Jesus says. I don't care about all the kingdoms of the world because they're missing one thing. They're missing the king. And if I actually want to have life and have it abundantly and have the very thing that the one who created me knows the beginning to the end, I need the king in my life, not just the benefits of the kingdom. And so it's not all the stuff that I'm going to find significance. It's not in all the stuff that I'm going to find purpose and identity. It's not in all the stuff and the accumulation of stuff that my life really matters. It's if I have the king, I have everything. And if I don't have the king, it doesn't much matter what I have. Because nothing, nothing surpasses the beautiful reality of the presence of the king. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, change your mind. Don't look at it that way. You're looking at it incorrectly. Look at it this way. That's what he began to say. And then he said, the kingdom of heaven. Everyone say the kingdom. 
Now, kingdom, I admit, unless you come from Saudi Arabia, which you may, because Ottawa's a very diverse city, or other, or other nations in the world that still have monarchies, but for many of us who grow up in democracies, kingdom is a weird world. We can watch it in movies, but we, we, it's hard for us to get a hold of. And so this is not a perfect example, but it's a little bit of an example. Um, by a show of hands, if you have an iPhone, can I see your hands, please? Can I see your hands, please? Okay. It's not a competition, by the way. Don't like start like a boo. Those are nonsense. If you have an Android phone, can I see your hands, please? Your hands, please. Okay. Anybody here have a Blackberry? Anybody have a Blackberry? Awesome. Fantastic. Way to go. Hold on to it. Uh, it's all good. Uh, anybody here still using like Microsoft Paint? Okay. Come into 2020, it's all good, nevertheless. Um, but here's what we have. Here's what we have, okay? Here's how you know you're in a different kingdom. So if you're talking to somebody who's in the kingdom of iPhone and you have iMessage, if you're, if you're talking to them and you send them a text, guess what? Your text is blue. And you see dot, dot, dot when they're responding. Dot, dot, dot. You remember a little dot, dot, dot? Doesn't it freak you out when it's like dot, 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 erase, dot, 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 erase, dot, 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 erase? I just mean to brace myself, like, here it comes, here, oh boy, what have I done, <laughs> right? Hey, Lori, how was your day? Dot, 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 erase, dot, 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 erase, dot, dot, dot. boy, oh boy. Phone shut off. <laughs> it's an upgrade. Some of you don't know you guys can shut it off. You actually can. It's a brand new upgrade. It's a new upgrade. Software update, just, you can shut it off. It's good. Anyways, but anybody here, you know what a group, group text is? Okay. I've been in like four of them in my whole life. Ungodly things they are. <laughs> and if you leave, it actually says that you've left. How rude. How rude. I just want to leave and not be noticed, okay? Jason has left the conversation. Oh, darn it. Stupid iPhone. Stupid iPhone. What kind of kingdom am I in? Here's what happens in a group text, though. If one of your buddies has an Android phone, all of a sudden, you know you're in a different kingdom. How? Because it's not blue anymore. What color does it go? Ah, it goes green. Same message, but all of a sudden you're like, great! We got someone here who's not in the kingdom. And if you have like a data plan that only gives you so much text, you're like, come on! Come on! Why? Because in the kingdom of iPhone, it's like you can do free on... Or the kingdom of Android. So, but they're not, they, they work with each other, but they're, they're, they're different kingdoms. Like if an app comes out only for Android, it's not like you can bring your iPhone and go like, but I have a phone too. And they won't say to you, well, you don't, you're not in the kingdom. <laughs> I mean, if they do, wow. <laughs> but you hold in your hand this little closed kingdom. That if... Apple bequeaths, there shall be no more home button. There shall be no more headphone jack. The king and the, all the subjects in the kingdom go, oh, okay, okay. Or you have to go to the kingdom of Android. No, not yay. I'm not saying it for that context. I'm just saying. So do you, do you get the picture of kingdoms a little bit? We're not going to parse this metaphor any further or we're going to go into the weeds here. We're going to keep moving. So Jesus is constantly, constantly 
because they are living in a kingdom at this time. And he is constantly saying that there's a new king who's inviting you to live into a different kingdom. And there are things in this kingdom that are not compatible in this kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven is God first, not self first. And it starts with repentance. And it starts with allowing God to continually heal our view of who God is. And then we see Jesus walking alongside, casting vision, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two guys, Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says to them, follow me, which is an invitation by the king into his kingdom. And he says, I'm going to take something that you understand because you're fishermen, but I'm actually going to show you the greater intent and that you think your life is about dollars, which is fishing for fish. But I'm going to show you that actually you weren't created only for dollars fishing for fish. You were actually created for destiny to fish for humanity and to make a bigger size difference. And so Jesus upsizes their vision by inviting them into another kingdom. The king says, you got to come into this kingdom. And they accept this invitation of Jesus. They begin to follow Jesus. And then they begin to embrace intimacy. They're going to know Jesus as they follow imperfectly. Again, read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll never find one person who follows Jesus perfectly. All of us do it imperfectly. But Ephesians 3, verse 17 to 21 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so this invitation of follow me, of clearing up our perspective of God, that when we see Jesus, we see the Father pulling us into a place of intimacy as we follow him, again, is to experience this far more abundant life. And so I want you to think about following Jesus as enrolling in a master class by the master of the world, that discipleship is our means of entering Jesus's master class, that his invitation is personal. He says to every one of us today, and those who are online or whether you're in Cornwall, he says, follow me. So it is for you, no matter what what you've done and no matter where your life is, it is for you. But this invitation is not just for you, individual. It's for us together, that we as a church can say yes to the Father, we can say yes to the Son, and we need to say yes to the continual filling and moving of the Holy Spirit. And it's always plus one. It is to be shared with other people along the journey. And so the way of vision is by faith, trusting who God says he is, not just what we experience. And sometimes it's even in spite of what we experience, having a faithful witness to stand upon who God has forever declared himself to be, not just what I can see. And so the way of vision is trusting that he is a better word, that he is a greater word, and that he is a surer word in spite of what we see. You need a move. I need a move. God is on the move.